Good morning and welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. Well, today we're going to be hearing from one of our elders, Chris Kuzak. Chris is going to take us into the teaching portion of Paul's letter as he highlights the distinctiveness of what produces maturity in the body of Christ, namely unity with diversity. Thanks for listening as we join Chris now for the needed reminder of how the whole body of Christ is designed to work together. Um, but first we'll go into our reading. Um, so we're looking at Ephesians 4, 1 through 16, and it's page 1667 in your pew Bibles, if you want to turn there. This passage is entitled, Unity and Maturity in the Body of Christ. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, When he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for the works of service, so that the whole body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son God become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So, um... I think it's sort of providential that I could speak on unity because every time I come up here to talk about um, Peace USA, right, I, I kind of have to stress that um, while we're leaving the denomination, we want to maintain unity with our brothers and sisters. Um, before I get into what this passage is really about, I really want to take a moment to focus on the very first line and talk about our salvation because... Uh, so many people out there get this wrong, and uh, it just seems like the first place the devil attacks when he attacks. Um, so the first line, uh, Paul writes, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Uh, so, you know, pastors and, and elders and other people, they, we come up here and we talk a lot about what you should do with your faith and how you should act and uh, how you should treat people, all that stuff, how to worship. Uh, and it's extremely easy for people uh, to take that message and, 
and flip it and, and think that that's what you need to do to be saved, to earn your salvation. Um, I know I sat in a pew for many years thinking that way. Like, here's what I got to do. If I do that, everything will be good. Um, and again, it's the first place the devil attacks when, when you sin, which we're all sinners, right? So we all mess up and sin. Uh, for me, it's, you know, you get the voice in your head saying, no, that, well, no, you, you blew it. It's over. Uh, but God's there, and he tells me, no, I, I got you. You're, you're saved. Um, Jesus tells us in John 10, 28, he gives us eternal life and that we will never perish and no one will snatch us out of his hand. Uh, so when we read that first verse in Ephesians, uh, or really any verse in the Bible that explains how we should live out our faith, um, it's really important that we recognize the order of events, the order of operations, if you're a math student. Um, first, Jesus saves us. Then, this is what we should do out of gratitude in our hearts. Um, this line in Paul's letter is not, um, you know, if you live a life worthy of this calling, you will receive that salvation. It's, it's you have received it. So I want to start with that foundation because uh, it, even in my own mind, it can get twisted up. So I want you to be confident that you have salvation. If you've, if you've accepted the Lord and you've repented of your sins, you're saved. So this is how we deal, once we're saved, with everything else that comes afterwards. And by the way, if... Um, all that stuff that comes afterwards, uh, it's not for your salvation. It's very likely for somebody else's salvation. So how you treat people, what you do with your knowledge, what you do with your faith, your good works, it's a witness to the world, right? And it brings other people into the faith. Okay, so we'll talk about unity of the church. Um, so the first part, uh, verses 2 through 6, sort of deals with how the church should function internally. Um, specifically in verses uh, 3 through 6, Paul makes the case for unity in the church body. And this is the new body that we're talking about the, after Jesus uh, ascended. Um, you know, Paul and the apostles, they started putting these churches together. Uh, this is the new body with Christ as the head, right? We've all heard that analogy plenty of times. Um, and he stresses the fact that there's just one, one body. And that one body serves one God. <clears throat> so verse 3 is, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Uh, there's one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, uh, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all in all. So we know unity is important, right? Uh, but why? Why is unity so important? Uh, mainly because, again, like I said, it's a significant part of our witness. Um, in John 17, 21, Jesus prayed of believers uh, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. Uh, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Jesus wants us to be one with him just as he is with the Father. Um, in practical terms, so Paul gives us some uh, application for this. Um, in 1 Corinthians 12, uh, and you heard some of it earlier from Peggy, um, they were all given sort of different spiritual gifts, right? And uh, 
by the Holy Spirit, which, which are to be used for the common good. That's what he tells us in 12.7 of 1 Corinthians. Uh, then he compares the body of Christ to the physical body, explaining that each part has uh, separate functions but operate together. Um, Clinton actually once told me that, uh, that I was like a hand and he was like a toe, a little toe. And I, I just want to point out, Quint, that that was a very apt analogy. I think that was a good observation. <laughs> but, so here, guys, seriously, I Googled this. Did you know that the pinky toe is absolutely imperative for your balance? Uh, you think of the foot as a triangle. If you don't have it, it tips. So, so you're important, <laughs> Quint, <laughs> just as we all are. Um, Check it out on Google if you don't believe me. Uh, so think about that. We're, we're all called to be disciples, but we aren't all equipped to be missionaries or pastors or deacons or choir singers or administrators. We're all equipped to be active participants in God's plan, and he has gifted us all differently. Uh, this, this may be too soon, but what would it look like if the entire Packer squad was full of Aaron Rodgerses out there? That was, that was too sad. Yeah, sorry. I'm a Lions fan, so you gotta give me one. <laughs> we all bring something unique to the table, right? So that's, that's the message there. So then Paul goes on to discuss the diversity in the church. Um, so you might be thinking, well, he's talking about diversity in our gifts, which he kind of in part is, uh, but we just talked about that, right? Um, but that's not really all he's talking about. So uh, if, if it was, why else would he say, be completely humble in verse 2. Uh, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. If he's just talking about different gifts that we all have, why would we need to bear with one another? Um, so in part, there's something that is acknowledged here by Paul that we all have to acknowledge that we're all sinful, Right? We're sinners, and because we're sinners, we don't like to be told we're wrong. We aren't patient with one another. We may recognize that others have different perspectives on something, but we aren't willing to consider their input. We're short with each other. We don't like finding people in our spot in the fellowship hall or in the sanctuary. <laughs> in general terms, we just aren't built for this loving, patient, humble way of life. Uh, and that impacts the way the church body operates, right? Um, so that, in addition to our natural tendencies towards sin, there's this uh, external factors uh, that create diversity. So in, in Paul's day, he's just building new churches and he's going into communities that are, you know, they're Jewish, there's Gentiles, there's people of all kinds of different backgrounds. Um, and that was a real challenge. It created a lot of issues. Um, they were all eager to live out their faith and they needed some direction. Um, you know, the Jews and the Gentiles obviously didn't mix. Um, both brought their baggage and misconceptions about what the, the new body should look like. So uh, I'm going to ask Phil, we worked out a little illustration here for you uh, about what this might have looked like in the early church um, when tradition and culture uh, clashed with sinfulness and it, it created a lot of problems. So. Let's say I'm uh, one of the, the early Jewish converts uh, to Christianity, and Phil is a Gentile. <laughs> Hi, friend. Who are you? 
Hi, I'm Phil, a Gentile who has been saved by Jesus Christ. Oh, salvation, huh? That's right, my sins are forgiven. Yeah, but have you been circumcised? <laughs> circumcised? What's, what's circumcised? It's easy. Just hold still for a second. <laughs> Thank you. You can be seated. <laughs> don't, don't cry. I told you I wasn't going to cut you. <laughs> that's, that's based on sort of a true story from Acts 15 and Galatians 6 and 1 Corinthians 7 and a bunch of other places. Um, so, so you have that. You have the cultural diversity, um, the tradition. You have all that stuff going on. Um, and you have this attitude of sinfulness, of pride, people saying, I'm right, you're wrong. Um, so you had all that going on back then. Of course, we don't have that today, right? Um, now today, we also have something what I call the yabuts, right? Uh, you know what a yabut is, especially if you've had kids, and you tell your kid it's time for bed, and he says, yeah, but I'm not tired. Yeah, but I need a drink of water. Yeah, but can you read me a story? Um, so these are the people that sort of disregard the importance of unity uh, and end up causing strife. Sometimes it's intentional, sometimes it's uh, not, but that's what happens. Um, everybody here is meta, yeah, but whether you know it or not. Um, and especially when it comes to your faith, when you're telling somebody about your faith and they say, yeah, but did you get baptized, right? Or, yeah, but do you pray the rosary? Yeah, but do you keep the Sabbath? Yeah, but do you speak in tongues, et cetera, et cetera. So the implication here is that if you're not doing church right, you aren't uh, doing it correctly. You're not saved. So that goes back to my original statement. That's why it's really important that we hold on to our salvation as secure. Um, so you have all that going on and some of it's, you know, it's all based on God's word, but people tend to take their, their thoughts and, and twist them a little bit. So we have God's word, which establishes boundaries between right and wrong, right? Between the must do's and the must not do's. But God gives us all the freedom to work within those boundaries. Some things are non-negotiable, like the Trinity or the virgin birth. But other things are left for us to operate with flexibility, like how you get baptized or how you serve in ministry. What we see over and over again is sinful man taking God's word and sometimes out of ignorance, sometimes out of malice, moving the boundaries. Uh, sometimes they get moved closer, restricting freedom. Um, restricting freedom in, in the way God allows us to uh, individually glorify him. Other times the boundaries are moved out, creating a gray area between righteousness and sin uh, that progressive Christianity takes full advantage of. There's no gray area in the Bible so that, you know, the lines are clear. Um, if you think about it like a fenced-in yard, right? And I, by the way, I spent the better part of a month this summer fencing in a yard, uh, like 350 feet of fence I put in. And so most of my analogies have been about fence, fencing. Um, so if you think about a, a fenced-in backyard where 
uh, you know, the yard's the world and the Bible is the fence, right? So God gives us the whole yard to play in and encourages us to invite others to come in through the gate to play with us. And you, by the way, know who the gatekeeper is, right? And it ain't St. Peter, it's Jesus. Um, uh, so picture all of us kids in the backyard playing. Uh, but you have this one group of kids over here in the corner. And they, they stay in that corner. And they say to everybody else in the yard running around saying, you know, that's not where the boundary is. You've got to stay in this corner. Um, and they'll let you come, but they'll judge you if you don't, Right. Then you got the other kids who are always looking for like a hole in the fence or uh, you know maybe a way to climb over it if there's a low spot where I can maybe crawl under. Um, they're looking for for gaps in the fence where they can move outside the yard and play in the neighbor's yard, right? Uh, and and they're sort of the people that claim there's a gap in the fence, uh, and this gap proves that God allows us freedom to move beyond this boundary. Sort of like some of the PCA USA stuff, right? Um, okay, so that's unity, uh, diversity. Now we go into maturity. So what do we do with all that? Uh, if you're asking yourself, how can we have unity when there's diversity? Um, why would God allow for this friction? So part of that answer is sanctification, right? Uh, we know that when we come to the faith by God's grace, he immediately begins sanctifying us. Um, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, uh, verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. We're new creatures, but our transition to holiness doesn't happen overnight. In fact, it's a process that continues until the day you meet Christ face-to-face in person. And it's a process we all must participate in. Paul gives uh, the following instruction to Timothy uh, in 1 Timothy 4, verse 7. Uh, Have nothing to do with godless myths, old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. Uh, Likewise, the church is a new, new creation, a new body. That's what we're talking about. So we're individuals, new creations. This body is a new creation. And we need to be sanctified together as well as individually. Um, But why is that so important, right? Uh, It's because we have to be mature in our faith, both both as individual disciples and as a church body. We've all heard the idioms like, uh, you can't grow where you're comfortable or no pain, no gain. Um, Discomfort, as uncomfortable as it might be. Uh, is part of God's plan to make us mature in our faith. Maturity was extremely important in Paul's day because there was this constant outside influences trying to compromise the church. The false teachers were everywhere, mostly those Jews who were insisting on you know circumcision and you know all these traditional things that they had, uh, and they were coming in and making new believers, new Christians, question their faith and question their salvation. Um, And so just like Phil and I illustrated earlier, there was this barrage of works-based false teaching that was constantly coming in and undermining the teaching that Paul was giving. Um, Paul's instruction to us in 1 Timothy 6, uh, 21 and 22, uh, is to guard 
what has been entrusted to your care. Turn away from godless chatter and the opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge, which, have, which some have professed and in doing so have departed from the faith. So again, I'm gonna, you know, I'd be stupid not to talk about PCUSA and all the stuff we've gone through there, but uh, we have that problem today, right? Uh, they're heavily influenced by the culture. They've made adjustments and they were incremental at first. <laughs> now they're moving in leaps and bounds away from Scripture. Um, and this is, what, this is what Paul's warning us about. This is what was going on in his day. This is what's going on, gone on all through history until today. And it will continue to go on until Jesus comes back. Um, and this is why maturity is important. We have to be able to recognize false teaching, problems, uh, people that are operating outside the boundaries of the Bible, things that we're told that uh, you know don't jive with God's word. We have to be able to recognize that and willing to to give a rebuttal, um, or at a minimum, walk away and understand that we believe in God's word and nothing else. Um, so this goes back to what Paul was saying in our in our subject text. Uh, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. We need to be able to do our work for Christ without falling into uh, false teaching. So let's put all this together. You're sitting there going, well, you talked about we have to have unity <laughs> And we're going to have diversity, so we have to be together. But Paul's telling us to run away from false teachings. I don't get it. Like that's that's a lot of sort of varying commands there, and um, but it's really not right. So it, it is confusing. I give you that. And I, by the way, usually when I when I fill in for Pastor Ryan, I I just I have something on my mind I'm going to preach about. But he asked if I would be willing to, to continue in the, um, the subject that he's, he's been on. And I took that challenge, and uh, it, was, it was good for me because, um, again, I, I spent a lot of time talking about unity with our brothers and sisters, even though we're leaving that denomination. But uh, to really get into the Word and, and flesh it out has really helped me to understand why, right? So... So if you're wondering, you know, what well, that seems contradictory, don't worry, it's not. Um, here's, here's the reason. So God does not, he does not command us to maintain unity at the expense of truth. We cannot forfeit the truth for the sake of unity. Unity is important. Truth is more important. Okay. Um, we're commanded to labor together in the common goal of furthering the gospel. But if someone or something is not congruent with God's word, the instruction to us is clear. Disassociate. In 2 Corinthians 6, Paul writes, Do not be yoked together with unbelievers, for do what is righteous and wickedness, excuse me, for do what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? So I've said it before, and I'll say it again. Our, our issue with the PCUSA is with the PCUSA. 
if we had a member of a PCUSA church come in here, um, unless they were spouting things that were against God's word, um, we would love them just the same, right? And if they did uh, say something that was against God's word, we would be uh, in our duty to correct them on that, right? Um, so the issue with the PCUSA is that they, it's not that they misunderstand God's word, it's that they're trying to change God's word. It's that they're trying to push the boundaries out uh, beyond what God gave us, and that we can't stand for. Um, but we love the brothers and sisters, and we need to worry about their uh, salvation, because um, if they're being led, so here's the thing, if, if, you, if you know of somebody sinning, right, and, and you and they're being told that they're not sinning in something that's clearly a sin, we're depriving them of their salvation, right? That's, that's a big deal. That's something we need to think about. So um, that's why with PCUSA, when we started this adventure of leaving, um, the first thing we did was, was write them a letter pointing out that, that error, that sin, and asking them to turn away from it, asking them to repent of it. Of course, we, we knew that was a fool's errand, but, um, but we had to make that statement, right? Or otherwise it's just he said, she said, but we gave them verses showing them where they were in error. Um, so it's important that people not be led away by false teaching. That's, that's really what this is about. Um, okay, so I'll jump into the application. We'll, we'll make the kickoff today, Bill. I know you're worried about it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so again, it feels a little bit like a paradox, right? Uh, we're told to love our neighbors but have nothing to do with evil. Um, and it feels sometimes like our neighbors are just evil. <laughs> but we need to try, right? So we must be willing to work with others so that we can be unified, reconciled to one another, just as we're reconciled to God through Christ. Uh, we also have to be willing to grow as Christians so that we can be mature. mature. Maturity will enable us to recognize when we need to bear with one another in love, when we need to separate. That's a pretty tall order, and I can promise you it is not possible without the Holy Spirit. So you need to be in prayer. When we're in that yard, God commands us to play with the kids in the corner and encourage them to see that there's a whole lot more yard uh, inside the fence that they aren't taking advantage of. We need to tolerate the yabbats and give them loving correction. We need to walk with Mildred, the gossip, and help her focus on the, the good that God is doing. And finally, we're commanded to play with the kids looking for holes in the fence as long as they're inside the yard. We need to let them know once they jump the fence and leave the yard... We're not playing anymore. But here's the final thought. Uh, if someone jumps the fence, let's just make sure that they know they are welcome back. Let's encourage him to come back and direct him to the gatekeeper because he's the guy that can let him back in. In this way, we will glorify God in maturity and unity. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this challenge. Uh, we acknowledge that we are as unlovely as those we might accuse. We also acknowledge that we do not desire unity on our own, 
but it is only through your Holy Spirit that we can seek reconciliation to you and to others. Please help us to bear with one another, just as you have to bear with us, uh, so that we may, we may do your work and you may be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you.